Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I'm sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So you're looking forward to uh, the holidays? I mean, the Christmas? Man, man, am I ever. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to the holidays. My son is like three, so he's at the age now where he kind of is like excited about it mm-hmm. for the first time. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Like, is he talking about Santa Claus and uh, reindeers and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Frosty the Snowman, all those things. We you have know, like three different nativity sets, like nice. so much stuff. Yeah. That- Nice. I, I, I loved the holidays when I was a kid. It was my favorite time of year. Uh, not just because of the presents. The presents were part of it. But the, the magic was actually the other big part of it. Like, I remember as a kid clearly lying in bed before, I think, Christmas of 94. And we had made in uh, class uh, reindeer uh, feed like treats for reindeers and you're supposed Mm -hmm. to sprinkle them on the lawn. And I remember lying there in bed thinking like, but he lands on the roof. (laughs) How are they going to get it on the, on the lawn if if they land on the roof? Of course. And I'm like, but then I was like, Oh, he's magic. They've just magically float up to him. You just got to put him someplace safe. Santa Claus ain't going to mess you up on Christmas. He knows what he's doing. Just like George C. Scott knows what he's doing. in this version of a Christmas Carol. There it is. Woo. (laughs) Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Jacob Marley is dead. This is a podcast that is actually kind of about the magic of the, the holiday season, but primarily about a Christmas Carol. I'm your host, John. And I'm his sidekick, Jimmy. And my goodness, John, was that like the most on theme cold open yet in a way? It Yeah, it might end up being the most on theme cold open we ever have, I was, honestly. I was halfway <laughs> through and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm talking about Christmas yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, you, you almost broke the bit with that one. Yeah, um, that's meta. That's meta yeah. right there. It certainly is. It certainly is. Well, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, sorry. Meta is the new version of Facebook. Oh, God. Yeah. 
What a terrible name for a company, honestly. I, I let's. Uh, I can't even. I don't even have the strength for that bit, John. Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some good Christmas Carol because we are continuing our conversation about the George C. Scott 1984 mm-hmm. TV movie Christmas Carol. Ooh, yeah. Um. If you were with us for the first episode, you know that we've been gushing about this one a little bit. And uh, I would argue that we are entering the better half of the movie at this point, James. In a weird way, yeah. Like, I normally prefer, like, the Ghost of Christmas uh, past and, like, everything that sets up the, mm-hmm. the uh, novella. But, man, we got – when you have strong people in those roles playing these this half of the story's characters – you're going to knock it out of the park every time. This is, I mean, folks, grab yourself some popcorn, sit down. You're in for a treat. Let's go. Yeah, you certainly are, because this is Jacob Marley is Dead, and we are talking about 1984's A Christmas Carol. Was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And one was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning. After after his journey to the past, uh, George C. Scott, our Ebenezer Scrooge, crawls groggily into bed, begging for sleep. Chef's kiss. It was glorious seeing him crawl that way. Like that's how Scrooge should look after really getting the past kicked out of him. Like yeah, that yeah. was um, that was amazing. And like he prays to God, just let me sleep as he gets into bed. And you actually for Scro- for you to feel sympathy for Scrooge, that's that's big. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. Um but he uh, there's no there's no sympathy for this devil because oh, no. um he wakes up, you know, I guess an hour later or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. to the ringing of the bell, and there's no ghost there. And and this smarmy punk is like, mistaken in death as you were in life, Jacob Marley. And it's like, that's awfully presumptuous, given what just happened to him. Look, I'm not saying you got to believe 100%, but you just got kicked in the head, either by yourself, mentally in a nightmare, or the spirits done did it, okay? And <laughs> spirits got more work to do, so we've got to uh, get on with it here. Don't tempt fate here, uh, Scrooge, because the night ain't over. And I will say, so I think a common theme we've talked about with Scrooges is like the arc and whether or not we should see like a gradual softening or like how much he should kind of come back to his old self through each spirit before the change really takes place. And I feel like George C. Scott really leans into that. Like every time he's done with one of the spirits, he kind of falls back into his old rhythm, maybe a little bit shifted, but not It's a totally it's a perfect journey, and I don't want to spoil where he gets to at the next transition, but man, this is exactly where I want Scrooge to be. As yeah. soon as he's right out of it, praying to God, totally like, I just, I'm in, I've been tortured, I am so, please help me. And as soon as he's got a little wind in his sails, humbug once again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we get the light under the door and we hear like, you know, the normal booming voice calling him into the other room. Come in um, and know me better, man. Yeah, that good stuff. And he goes in and I really love this effect of him coming through the door into like the bright blazing light. Like it's really, really super bright and the music right. is swelling and you hear the laughter. Well, it's, um, the holidays, we've talked about this before, but it's a festival of light. It's the winter solstice. It's the light in the middle of the darkness, as they said on Doctor Who. And it's a 
It's perf- perfect. And then we go into the room, John, and how about this feast? Yeah. Yeah, so we get like a pretty decent feast. I would say it's like it suffers a little bit from like it being a TV movie. You don't get quite that like horn of plenty opulence. But we do get a like imagine like a uh, oh gosh, uh, a bead doorway, right? You would have instead of a door, you have beads. I know but exactly it, what you're talking about. Yeah. But instead of beads, you have giant pieces of sequence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just. Yeah dangling or crystals or whatever it is yeah little mirrors or something behind our ghost of christmas present it's and i'll say it's like a cheap effect like that can't have cost set and properties very much but it really makes the difference in that room of like scattering light and just making the whole thing look glitzier when there's not really all that much that's changed no they set up some pretty standard television lighting not bad lighting in fact uh, if i haven't said it on the last episode there's great lighting in this special oh yeah pretty Mm -hmm. good for television in 1984 this is pretty damn impressive but they set up television lighting and they just aim it at this set and the sequence does it and it's really good Doctor Who. Like it be it, like this would fit in really well with like 1970s Tom Baker Doctor Who for Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is great stuff. Yeah. Not the bubble wrap. That's the bad Doctor Who. <laughs> so, um we have Edward Woodward Ooh. as the ghost of Christmas present whose name I will not be repeating cuz just saying that once was a challenge. So, what has he been in? What is this guy's deal cuz he's man So I didn't look, I I kind of was running out of time in my research to like look up every single actor, but uh, this guy is certainly in this. um, And he is, I think, my favorite ghost of Christmas present that I have seen so far. This guy's amazing. This guy is the right tone consistently throughout the entire thing. Hits him hard when he needs to, softens up. Sets up for a bit and then hits it out the park. This guy is, this is the best Ghost of Christmas present we have seen. Yeah, and I think what it has that that works for me, and we'll talk about it as we go through, is he has the, um, he is like that kind of abusive towards Scrooge that I really enjoyed from mm-hmm. from the um, the musical yep. Scrooge. But he also has the moral indictment, which is, I think, something that that ghost was missing is like that ghost was very much about like, have a good time and enjoy life and stop being so grumpy. Whereas this one is like, you one percenter capitalist piece of crap. Look at the plight of the poor man in the street, Um, which I think when you get that, especially with George C. Scott's take on Scrooge. Right. right, you got. You can't come to George C. Scott and Scrooge as a weak Ghost of Christmas present. You have to be all what you just described, and also be able to match him as an actor. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. you have to be like. Could you imagine acting opposite George C. Scott in anything? In <laughs> terrifying. Anything. It'd yeah. be terrifying because you a want to keep up with him, but you don't want to try to out. To him because yeah. that's how you get michael keaton let's get nuts like yeah yeah you, yeah you, you really get like that trying to out nicholson nicholson and that's not good this guy doesn't do it he does his own thing he gets really intense in certain moments of this sequence but he and he's with us for a long time this is a long goes to christmas presents mm-hmm. and which is fine and dandy but like he holds his own and does his own thing but keeps the level at the same 
same bar with George C. Scott. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So uh, he, at this point, he's kind of like laughing and jolly. Um, he's not like particularly tall, but he's definitely on stilts for most of this performance when you see him walking beside Scrooge. So mm-hmm. he's like a skinny giant, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he's very tall. I, we've seen worse. On the, yeah, that's uh, fair. I mean, we've seen people that aren't even trying to be a different size. Like they're basically Scrooge in a bathrobe, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. But he, um, you know, the, the scene plays out basically the way it plays out in the text, right? Mm-hmm. He asks him if you have, if you've seen any, uh, any of my kind before and, and then grab onto my robe and we're going to go do something. And, uh, so w- what we don't get in this version is like the miners in the, in the coal mines and we don't get like the ship at sea and all of that kind of like, let's fly around england seeing what it looks like to to do christmas but we get a really good market scene in this version really authentic and if you can't do the the former you got to do the latter and they Mm -hmm. do it great here this is this is probably my second favorite market scene i've ever seen in in a christmas carol adaptation this is great this is it's real yeah the spirit is in the air and yeah as he walks through with his torch spreading the Christmas spirit and observing it with Scrooge, there's also transactions. It's not like all smiles. It's a real portrayal of what this scene would be. Yeah. And like down to like the butchers and everything like mm-hmm, that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's London and it's alive. So it, it helps, I think, that this was filmed in Shropshire, which from my understanding is like a really old market town. So like this is an authentic english market that would have been around at that time and likely before like i think shropshire goes back to the medieval period all right the set here and the setting and like how real that market looks and like how the the butcher and like you can see that chicken and it's like got the it's like it's real it's the flesh and blood of it it's amazing yeah i love in the scene that um so scrooge can only comment on like how much buying and selling is going on that's all right you can see he shows him all this stuff and and it's like, oh, people are buying all this stuff. And this is the first point where we see like the tone the spirit's going to take with him where he's like, is that all you see here? Come on. He's got no time for Scrooge's BS. Yeah, no he really does time. not. You know how old I am? I'm 1841. OK, <laughs> <laughs> so he um, uh, they kind of make casual reference to like the spirit's torch and like the magic that comes from it, but nothing really comes of that. It just ends up being used for a transition, but it's like, Oh, they mention it. That's fine. That's how you do it. When you can't re- when it's lame to go into the mechanics of the magic, you just keep it in the abstract. That's mm-hmm. what Tolkien taught us. Yeah. So they end up, uh, in this like tiny little corner of Kensington. Right. And, uh, uh, Scrooge doesn't know where they are, and obviously we as the audience know that this is the home of Bob Cratchit, so we're going to get our, our Cratchit family Christmas scene. Mm. Um, Scrooge, of course, is like, oh, he does he does pretty well on that meager salary that I give him. What a piece of garbage. <laughs> That's how George C. Scott Scrooge rolls, man. That was perfect. I was like, yes. Like that's cuz that's how he would do. He, mm-hmm. he 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 sees the only the macro, not the micro. He, yeah. he doesn't yeah. see the, the effect, the realness of living there. He sees a house. He sees that he's in a place with warmth and his family can live in there. 
Now he has to go in and look at how they live. Yeah, exactly. And at, at risk of sounding like a total pinko, it's like that very like capitalist. I'm I'm the job creator mentality, right? Oh, Throughout yeah. this whole thing, I mean, oh, they yeah. really lay it on thick. And it's funny because we were talking in the in the Bill Murray version about like that being this kind of indictment of the like the commercialism of the '80s. And it's mm-hmm. weird, right? This is 1984 again. We're seeing that very like. This Scrooge is so caught up in his profiteering that he cannot see the people around him suffering. Well, not not to go off on a tangent as well, but to quote movie Bob, nothing exists in a vacuum. And this is 1984. Yeah. What was happening? Reagan's re-election. Either yeah. he was going to lose mm-hmm. or he's going to win when this was in production. So you don't think they were thinking about Reaganomics at the time? Yeah, this absolutely. Is, this is a Ronald Reagan Scrooge, the cowboy yeah. Scrooge. I mean, if you really look at it in that context, somebody really probably interpreted it that way back in 1984. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a reason why he is so like self-assured throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing yep. in the idea that his business is like that running his business well is the only thing he has to do to better society it's is to mo- like be a good profiteer. It's morning in London again. And yeah. he has made it his life's good. I don't know what. And he's got a house. Cratch has got a house. Man, this is a good movie. This is. This is way better than it has any right to be as a TV movie, honestly. Like, yeah, it's very good. Like, it's you very this, good. You give this movie like two million more. This could have been. This should have been nominated for an Oscar with better lighting, maybe a few better actors. Not that I love the cast. Yeah, punch wrong. up the script a little Just bit. Just a little yeah. bit. Let some stuff breathe some more. Mm-hmm. You know, and add in like you can do then. Like when they're visiting different spots on Christmas Day, then you could do the lighthouse, then you could do the ship and the prisoners and the miners. You could do all that with yeah. a little bit more of a budget. Yeah, totally. Um, so we get uh, uh, the Cratchits. I love that Scrooge doesn't want to go in when the ghost invites him. He's like, you want to go in? Again, it's funny the way he says it. it's very cash. Like he's like, you want to go in? You want to go see? And Big Scrooge, man, is huh? like, Scrooge is like, nah, I'm good, I'm good bro. Like... Like he, can't, like, he can't even buy his bullshit from the last line. Like, honestly, I'm sorry. But, like, that's completely what happens right there. Like, he's like, yeah, I, I, he's, he's doing pretty well for himself. Want to go in? Nah. Yeah, no. <laughs> so so inside, um, when he does go in, yeah. we see Mrs. Cratchit, played by Susanna York, who has a bunch of credits, like, was in a bunch of stuff. Most significantly was with George C. Scott in a production of Jane Eyre in like the 70s. Wow. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, she played opposite him before, which is interesting because I don't know that they ever actually interact in this film. Yeah, that's I always miss that. Like I I know it's not in the novella, but I really love when Mrs. Cratch Okay, let me back up for a second. I usually love when Mrs. Cratchit can interact <laughs> yeah, with Scrooge. We can't say that anymore. Jimmy. Jesus <laughs> Man <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it when I made the statement and then it happened. And- That's that is forever tainted. Oh. <laughs> Damn you. FXXXXX. Like, oh my gosh. God, oh my gosh. I, I, seriously. Like I was being honest. Like that, like the, we will review a version of a Christmas Carol soon enough where I love a, you know, spoilers that I love when Mrs. Cratchit, you know, yells at Scrooge at one point. I can't, Let's move on. But man, yeah. ow. Well, um, 
you did this, sir. You did this. Uh, yeah, this is my fault. So <laughs> this is a this is a pretty good Cratchit scene. So the the Cratchits in this are very wholesome. Like it's super wholesome Cratchits. They they really feel like a real family in the way that we've talked about before. Um, I mean, it's Hallmark Cratchit, and that's not bad. It's, it's it is vi- very Hallmark Cratchit, and yeah. And- but it's it kind of needs to be in this version because mm-hmm. it's a it's what the audience is expecting. So they're yeah. at, at 1984 again going back to it. This is what they would have wanted on screen. This yeah, is totally. what they want. They totally. don't want the dirt on their faces. Yeah, no subversion. By the, Cratchits. By, by the way, I was watching a video where a historian was talking about stop putting mud on all their faces. <laughs> they weren't that dirty. <laughs> Like they were watching like a bunch of like medieval like history like costuming. It's like the king would not have dirt on his face. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Take no. the dirt off. Um, and we had talked about that with Roger Reese as Fred. How his like his ode to Christmas in the first scene is like felt a little schmaltzy. Yeah, and uh, but that's just sort of the vibe. Um, and and you enjoy, it. and it's not. Oh, it's 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 razor thin. It's because you can be too schmaltzy sometimes, and that's when it really gets bad. Right. Like I think in like Scrooge, Albert Finney, like that was a mm-hmm. bad Cratchit family. Like yeah. cr- across the board. Yeah, um, that was rough. Th- that's my least. I'm remembering him now. That's like one of my least favorite Bobs too, right? Like, oh yeah, you hated him. I did, and I and you know what? I know we were too hard on that movie. Not too hard on him. Yeah, no, no. Especially when you compare him to like David Warner, right? So, oh, who's about to walk in the door doing what? Yeah, he's got Tiny Tim on his shoulder. They're coming in from church, right? He stayed to talk to the minister, all that stuff. So there's a couple good things here. Um, They really lean into Scrooge noticing Tiny Tim in these scenes, right? Which we talked about in the last episode as well. How important that is for us to really buy at the end that he cares, that he gives a crap. So he notices Tiny Tim being supported by the younger Cratchits. And he, this Tiny Tim really needs a lot of help to get around, it seems like. Which is, that's the whole point. This kid needs help. And who could help this kid? Well, the family's helping him, but it's it's very tough on them. Who could help them? Maybe somebody with a lot of money who should be contributing society instead of holding it all. Jeff Bezos. I mean, sorry, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, do we have to yeah, get censored so, on that one or are they going to shoot us into space? I don't know. What do they do? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So um, so they notice um, they, they or they make this point of having a, a little like a little hook on the wall that mm-hmm. Tiny Tim's crutch goes on when he's being helped around the house. And again, like we see it. It's Chekhov's little little crutch hook. Scrooge notices it, and we notice him noticing it, and we notice the ghost noticing him notice it. It's all good stuff. You hear it so much in the novella because it's you're reading it, right? So you read about the detail that it's on the wall. You read about it, of course, when Ghost will say what he says in a few moments. This is great visual storytelling, and it is something that I think just they leave it all up to the line, right? Yeah. But without the narrator there, without Dickens there telling you about it, we got nothing here that gives that line weight. So this right. is perfect. Yeah. Um, so uh, we find out that uh, Fred approached Bob at church and he wants to offer Peter a job mm-hmm. at, 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 at the exorbitant rate of like three shillings or whatever. Like, And Scrooge is all, <laughs> all pissed off about it. <laughs> yeah. He's like tutting. Yeah. My my nephew's gonna be out on the street soon enough, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Gee, like that's great. Like 
Because he that uh, that does two things. One, that's obviously what Scrooge would kind of think. But yeah. two, he cares about his nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like there is that like he low key does kind of care. Like he doesn't want his his nephew making bad business decisions. Like, but come it's also on. that's a rookie move, nephew. <laughs> yeah, right. He also just at uh, you know, narcissist gonna gonna narcissist, but he he thinks that uh, gonna... Fred is doing this to spite him. Yeah, I get that. I get I get that feeling. I get that. Nar- I, we smell our own. I get it from one narcissist <laughs> to another. We 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 understand it. Yeah. <laughs> I understand where Scrooge is coming from for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And they, they sit down to like a real cute, you know, dinner. Uh, uh, they say a little prayer. Scrooge says amen. And the ghost is like, what? <laughs> what? I thought you said, did you say something? I thought you said something. It was beautiful. It wasn't overdone. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, like, it wasn't like that thing where they really focused on it too much, you know, where yeah. it's like there's a because you know what could have happened here? The score could have attacked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, yeah. the score would be like, amen. Dun, dun, dun. Or like yeah, bells yeah. chiming and like, yeah, he yeah. cares. He's really yeah. like, oh. It's like, no. No. Just, the- just the ghost being sassy. Qual? Yeah. It did make me think, too, that if we hadn't already cast the Ghost of Christmas present, and I would not change my casting choice, but another really great casting choice for this would have been John Cleese. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, very similar energy in this scene, I feel like. He's very much the teacher in the sex ed class and meaning of life for here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 (laughs) The schoolmaster. Like, that's great. Like, that's really funny. Um. God, there's so many. Like, I had to resist the temptation to just write down every single line that they gave the ghost in this scene because he is ragging on Scrooge, and every one of them is just like zing right to the heart, zing, zing, zing. Like, it's, it's so good. It's it's a masterclass of dissing. <laughs> yeah, my favorite one is so Scrooge looks down at the table and he's talking about how small the gro- the goose is and the way this shot is framed makes me laugh every time cuz it's like a it's like a you know straight on shot of Scrooge's face looking down at the table and there's a little bit of space to the right or the left I forget which side and the spirit is out of frame completely and leans into frame to get right next to his ear and go it's all he can afford. <laughs> and then he leans back and it's the timing of it it's so good it's like it's like there's a very famous will ferrell bit where he's like he's like train your dog with sarcasm and like the dog's not eating the puppy chow and he's like now here's the thing the met was booked solid and i know you don't like the new place because of the chef so why don't we try the puppy chow and just remember leans in real close to the dog you're an effing dog. <laughs> it, it's very much like that. Isn't it's it? amazing. Yeah. It's, it's it's if you know that skit, it's oh, he's just he's he's got that grimace look on his face. He's like, and it's so angry. Yeah, he's angry at Scrooge. Oh yeah, he's big mad at Scrooge. It's so it's so refreshing to see because yeah. what have we been saying? What have we been saying this entire show? Have we really ever gotten our ghost of Christmas present? So 100%. Like, have we gotten this? What we've had is, like, we've had a lot that were, like, too passive. 
We've had, I think the the Seymour Hicks one kind of got into the ballpark of what we were looking for, right? Close. Maybe Very like close. the Dumbledore one from the animated one, but he even he was a little bit more Santa Claus than than yeah. Christmas present. But I think this is the first one that really nails, like I said, both the both the lambasting of Scrooge, but also the moral indictment of Scrooge, right? Like I genuinely don't like you, and I'm going to call out all of your evil basically it's father christmas mixed with krumpus into one yeah, there you go i yeah. mean really like he yeah. is harsh to scrooge yeah. here and it's because he's it's like when somebody is like in a movie when they think the best way to help somebody in hysterics is just shaking them back to sanity yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. slapping it's hysterical women across the face exactly. that thing. Yeah. it's like the woman on airplane like just like yeah. <laughs> everyone's yeah. lining up <laughs> Everybody's got a Santa Claus hat to get Scrooge. It's all he can afford. It's all he can afford. <laughs> so big, huge gold star to David Warner in this scene, because when oh. Tiny Tim delivers his um, God bless us line, right? He, the look that they get this like shot of Bob and the look on his face is like both so like in love with his son, but also like so disheartened that his son, like his life is hanging on this thread. It is soul crushing. And I think my son is like three now. So he's like around the same age as this actor. So for me, watching this was very, very tough because it's just like, oh, oh, the feelings. Why? Because <laughs> it's because it's what you need to feel at that moment in the in the movie. It's exactly what you're supposed to be feeling. You're supposed to be there with Bob in that moment, understanding what's at stake. You know, like yeah. really, what's mm-hmm. at stake here? And like, I'm not a father. I'm not a parent, but I have students. And when you really like care for your students and like see their struggles, see their triumphs, see everything, the whole thing, and you get that weight on you as a teacher, that's humbling and powerful. Yeah. As a parent, I can only imagine how much stronger that is. It's wild. Yeah. So like that look is if you if you're anybody that really on like cares for kids or has ever worked with kids, you'll get it on some level. And if you're a parent, we doggies. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, the surplus population roast in this it cannot possibly be topped. It is the absolute best version of this I've ever seen. No, say it would be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my species will find him here. But if he is to die, then let him die and decrease the surplus population. my own words against me so perhaps in the future you will hold your tongue until you have discovered what the surplus population is and where it is it may well be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child It's... I mean, he, it's brutal. I mean, th- he, Scrooge looks like Rocky at the end of Rocky. <laughs> no, this roast. no, he, he looks like Rocky middle of Rocky three. 
Clubber Lang showed up and Mickey just died. <laughs> Spoilers for Rocky 3. <laughs> I mean, I could describe it. I'm going to post, if I can find the clip, I'm going to post it to our Twitter just because it is just, Oof. I mean, this guy savages him in this scene. And, and he, he needs it. Right. He, he, yeah, he deserves it. It's I know we joked about, but it's the tough love attitude here. Yeah. It's like yeah. I, I've really gotta educate you on how messed up all of this is and how you are not and and what the stakes are. Because mm-hmm. you don't know what they are. And you've gotta get to that point and I there's only so much I can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's true. Uh, um the so the Cratchits drink a toast to him. And he gets all like, like he kind of like straightens up his collars and he's like holding on to his lapels. Like, mm, yes, indeed. I, I do deserve this immediately after being lambasted for like the horrible thing that I said about humanity two seconds ago. He's a shark. He can't stop. He's got to keep moving. He's got to keep moving. Cause if he stops, that shark will die. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. And he, he like he's a real holdout like he just can't let it go he has this whole speech in the scene where he's he's talking about um you know it's, it's you know bob makes a good point without me there would be no feast and the spirit's just like ah oh, all right all right dude we gotta <laughs> i gotta take you somewhere else because clearly this is not helping you <laughs> this is this is not quite the all is lost moment, but it's it's pretty damn close. It's the beginning of it. It's because you just saw all that and you're still taking pride in what you did, even though we just rubbed your nose in dirt. Like, yeah, okay, let's let's keep this train rolling. And the reason why I think he's so strong against it is such a wonderful facade because it looks so strong what George is doing here, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it it really is that weak when you look at it, right? It looks yeah, solid from yeah. one angle, but it's as thin as paper to use totally. a Cousin Vinny totally. reference. Yeah. Like, it's it's like that. And When you put anything he's doing in context and look at it from, like, an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. all of his, like, stony pride that he puts forward is just so flimsy. And his gaslighting doesn't work, and he just is left alone with it, and it's... It, yeah, because he can totally gaslight like basically every other character in this movie, but mm-hmm. this spirit he cannot. Right. No, yeah. None of it's happening. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. Um, it's interesting. He he. So this in the Ghost of Christmas Past sequence, right? There was a a scene where he's kind of like um uh doesn't want to accept her pity. Right. They, mm-hmm. they they kind of make this this point of pride, which is not something from the text. It's a little bit of a deviation. No, and that yeah. comes up again when he goes now to visit Fred. Right. Mm. Like Fred. I forget if it's Fred or if it's if it's Fred's wife. One of them says they feel sorry for him. Right. And he's like, spare me. Like, I don't I don't need your pity again. It was really interesting. This angle of like, I don't I don't need you to feel bad for me right. because he feels so bad. Yeah. And and it's mm-hmm. just it's just the facade again. I it's I mean it's it's what it's it's always what it is. But like you really get it here with George, and we're at the dinner party scene, and Fred is about to give that toast. And mm-hmm. let's get into it, man. I'm yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so they're there, and Fred is kind of telling the story about, you know, Scrooge and the humbug thing, and he's like, I'm I'm going to keep going back. I mean, Fred's a really pure soul in this one. He's really like, I'm going to keep going back. My mother loved him, right? right. I'm going to keep going back. This the isn't my favorite keep- Fred, but this is yeah. exactly how you should play Fred. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and they keep talking about how... Um, uh, Fred, like the ghosts now, this is the second ghost to be like this. He reminds me a lot of your sister, right? Yeah. So they really keep making that comparison, like rubbing Scrooge's nose in it. Like he's a lot like the sister that you lost, that you loved. You have her eyes, Harry. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like that type of stuff. Um, He's so full of himself, this Scrooge, because they start playing the game, which in this, they don't play the, it's not like the yes and no game, right? But it's still kind of a game that ends up being at Scrooge's expense. It's the simile game. What is it with this damn game? I don't understand why they keep messing it up. It's not a complicated game. Is yeah. it just because it's not visually interesting? So they had to come up with some sort of gimmick here? Like, So I think it is about, so this one, it's more about Scrooge's like intellectual superiority because he is watching them play the game, right? And he's like, uh, you or me. So the idea is like Fred says like a, like, you know, uh, cold as, uh, and someone else says a cucumber or whatever, like it's similes. Mm-hmm. So Scrooge is like priding himself on knowing all the similes, but he gets caught off guard because, uh, he thinks they're going to say tight as a drum and, and his, his niece in law, whatever she is, is like, uh, tight as your uncle Scrooge's purse strings. Right. And I don't like it because it does the thing. It takes the blame off of Fred. Fred makes the joke. Yeah. They put it on his wife. Yeah. Because she's the snippy one. Yeah. She's the one. No, she gets the answer right and he comes up with the answer in the original. They're as both snippy about it and and joking about how tight Scrooge is or whatever. The original context of the joke in the novel. It's this weird thing that um, people do. I'm wondering if the idea is, is to... I'm wondering if the idea is to paint Fred as someone who like, you know, he'll joke about it, but he's not going to be abusive. Like he's not going to be mean to his uncle where his uncle has been calling him names the whole time. And that's wishful thinking that people don't want to think about because guess what? This happens to all of us. Sure. Okay. Sure. All of us get this. It doesn't feel good. We don't like when we hear about it, but, and hopefully we never do because that would be rude friends. That would be mean, but like, yeah, People joking about you a little bit behind your back, it's natural. Yeah. Fred's a human, a human. Yeah. All right. Give him his half of this. Give him half of his sin here. He's human. Why is it all gotta be Eve? <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Oh, look at that. Um, I love how he is uh uh there's a point here where he compliments Fred about something, and I can't remember. Do you remember what that was? Was it creeping out on his wife looking good? No, it was it was something business related. Like it was. By the way, that was just a total shot in the dark because it's very yeah. possible that that's because he does make comment of it later on. But yeah, they always do. That's just how it rolls. It's, I think it's... I well, I think it has something to do with the game. It's actually like Fred. Uh, Fred's really sharp with the game, and I think Scrooge kind of like admires like how quick he is with like knowing the similes and stuff. He's got a good head on his shoulders, this boy or whatever. 
he sees a little bit of himself in him, you know? I, yeah, I do think that's what it is. I mean, yeah. they're they're in very similar trades from the sound of it, right? They're both managers. Mm-hmm. He's hiring Bob's uh, son, Peter. So, like, this is... This is very like it's not like he went the opposite. Like he's some sort right. of equivalent of a beatnik or whatever. Like he's a poet or both. Yeah, yeah. He's a man of business. He's doing the best he can. Exactly. Yeah. Like this guy is he's he's the good version of what Scrooge could be, actually. Yeah. Which, and is, I, so which is a nice take. There is there's this kind of um you know, he's <laughs> He puts up this front that he's like not upset about the game, and he's like, "I'm willing to for- forgive the joke at my expense." And in 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 recognition of the general gaiety of the evening, and the ghost is like, "All right, it's time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go show you the worst thing that anyone's gonna show you." Let's go to the street. We gotta yeah. talk. Yeah, <laughs> let's step outside. So, so here's the thing that this version does, which I think is so good. I'm always surprised that it's not in the novella when I read it, mm-hmm. because they go out and they find themselves under a bridge. They're under this big bridge somewhere. Okay, let me pause for a second. I have never seen or remember this scene. Go on. Yeah. So they're under this bridge, and. Uh, Scrooge is like taken aback because it is snowing out. It's winter. It's cold. And there are just people huddled around little fires under this bridge. I mean, basically homeless families in London on Christmas Eve. Right. And, and the spirit is like, you know, this is something you need to see. And Scrooge is like, I don't understand what this has anything to do with me. And the scene focuses on this one family and there's like a mother and two children and a father. And um, they're cooking potatoes on sticks over this little fire in like a brazier. And the mother's like, all right, they're finally hot. And the kids try to eat them. And they're like, they're too hot. And she's like, well, they'll be cold in a minute. So it's brutal. And one of the children asks, um, one of the children asks, like, where where did their father get them? And he is he responds really sharply. He's like, I didn't steal them, if that's what you're saying. Like, your father's not a thief, right? Uh, so the it's brutal. So it's... the father the father kind of walks off away from them, and he's clearly he's just like some working class schlub, right? Really frustrated, really, really sad. And the mother follows him and is trying to get him to come back to the fire. And he's basically looking at his hands and like, like, I'm a strong worker. It's not right that there's no work. Like, what am I supposed to do? Right. Right. And finally, he tells them tomorrow, you take the children and go to the poorhouse until I can find work. And she refuses to break up the family. So basically, she pulls him back like, no, I'm not going in there. We'll never see each other again. Right. Which is great because going all the way back to our very first episode, we know that Charles Dickens father had them in a poorhouse for a while because of his, you know, bad business choices or whatever. Right. So that's a thing that Charles Dickens experienced. And it is a thing that's like conspicuously absent from the novella. We don't see necessarily the plight of people like this. He can't go there. He can't. Yeah, maybe. He can do it in other things and maybe other situations, but at this moment, what he was writing at that time, he just he couldn't put it in there as well, right? Yeah, and he's human, man. Like he, he and 
it deserves to be in the piece. It actually, it, you're right. It should be in the piece. This side of the holidays, you really do get like all three types of extremes of yeah. different family life. You have friends, yeah. a young couple of means. They have they have money. They have money. Yeah. Right. You see the Cratchits, the blue collar family, and then you see this family here just living the harshest life. Yeah. And yet they are united. It's not pleasant. They're they're fighting, but they're together and they love yeah. each other. And they're a team. I yeah. love this team that we have here. I love this couple. I both of these actors, the the, the husband and wife, are just killing it in this scene. It's yeah, it's so good. I've seen this one the father. In other things, I can't recall without like I have to go through. But like he is, just he's he's got this wonderful delivery and like he when he looks at his hands, he, that's him as a man. Like and for the time period to be a provider, right? Like that's what he's weighing on right there, and he feels not like a man. Yeah. Like he's not he's not the father. He's not the man he's supposed to be. And like I'm capable. I'm there. I'm ready to do it. I'm not I'm not lazy, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. yeah. I want to work. I don't want to be on welfare. I want to contribute. Okay? Don't treat me like lesser. I'm willing. And she's right there to support him and to help him and to and to take care and it's this unit this family it's it's wonderful this is one of the best scenes in any version we have seen of a christmas carol yeah and, and it's so necessary because the whole thing with this scrooge has been blindness to the truth of how the things he does affect the world, right? right? And it is people like Scrooge. It is the people driving up the price on corn. It's the mm-hmm. people who are manipulating the market to make the most profit, mm-hmm. who are putting these people under this bridge, who right. should be able to work and provide for their families, right? right. But whose only option is the is the nightmare of of the the workhouse, right? right? If you can't pay. The people who need to have more and more. And who are they taking that more from? Right. 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 That more just doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. It was somebody's before or what could have been. And it's not. Yeah. And it's interesting how those people like look at society as this zero sum game when they're the ones who are kind of like creating that issue. Right. It's right. wild. If everybody decided to stop doing something, we could or decide to do something. We could do it or stop it. We went to the freaking moon. Anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I love this as a bookend to the Fred scene because I think you go to the Fred scene, which is very much about like Scrooge's personal issues, like Scrooge's family life and the things that he has to deal with there. We've had Scrooge and the and like the employee, like, can he be a better employer to Cratchit seeing the needs there and those are both very personal things but what's great about this moment is it's not just about like he needs to accept the spirit of Christmas and be more generous to the people in his immediate vicinity he needs to make a fundamental change to the way he sees the world because this is what the world is and he has blinded himself to it right and he need and it's not that you just need to be cheerful you've got to contribute 
you've got to do something of merit. Yeah. Or those chains are still waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. And when he asks, like, he doesn't get it because he asks the spirit, like, what does this place and these people have to do with me? And the spirit's response is, are they not of the human race? Like, are they not, like, the same people as you? How can you stand there, right, right. being a human being and seeing other human beings in this state and not be horrified? And, and, and like, with that understanding... What do you feel? Nothing, man. Do you feel yep. nothing at this moment? And he does feel something. He just can't be honest about it. Yeah, which exactly, is, which exactly, because he knows it's his fault and the fault of people like him. Be- and that leads us into ignorance and want. Because we're just to back up for a second. Because yeah. he drove up the price of corn, yes. and so like it's 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 tangible within the script. It's not yeah. just abstract. No, we have cause and effect. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Oh. This is going to be in my top three at spoilers oh, at the end of yeah. this. Yeah, oh, this yeah. is this is this is so good. Yeah. So ignorance and want also really great, and I think like the score works really well for it, mm-hmm. and the the build because the spirit is so enraged at Scrooge at the point that that ignorance and want are introduced. It's not like a ooh spooky scary warning. It's a look at what you did. Like he opens mm-hmm. his robe and he's like, "These are your." children they are the children of everybody who goes through the world without seeing and in a weird dreamlike state you just saw two kids so now we're going to use that like like it's how a dream kind of would work actually like you would just naturally flip a concept into another extreme or something like it's connected but not really how dreams kind of work like this is perfect and scrooge's face at the confusion and horror of seeing this George C. Scott. Yeah. George C. Scott. And the best part is Scrooge can't look at them. Like he looks uh-huh. at them. They do the whole scene. And then he says, cover them. Yeah. I don't want to see. And the spirit's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But they're there. Like he covers them up and he's like, they're there all the same. You right. piece of garbage. Right. And that's it. I mean, that's. Yeah. It's. I, I haven't brought this up, but it really does fit here in this moment. It's the, um, do you know the, uh, so, so, oh, no, wait a minute, what's the, uh, Feed the World song? So this is, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. you know the one? Yeah. There's one line in it that has actually some weight. It's Bono's line. Of course it's Bono's line. But Bono said, you know, when they're describing how crappy it is, right? And yeah. how everyone's yeah. going hungry. Bono just says, well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. And it's, <laughs> That right? song is really problematic. <laughs> Right, right. It's pretty racist, honestly. Right, right. But yeah, but that one part, yes. Ignorance and want are really done well here. I think that it's it's the cherry on top of the Ghost of Christmas present. If you nail ignorance and want, you are solid with your like. You can do a bad Ghost of Christmas present, but if you got a good ignorance and want, it's pretty all right. But this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, really good. Stratosphere. Really good. And then uh, he's he pieces out. He's like, all right, I got to go. I'm going to leave you here. And he lets him linger. And yeah. it's it's because yeah. it's a commercial break, but we just sit with Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Well, because what happens is the spirit goes, and then we just get, like you were saying, this long shot of him S- under the bridge. The people are gone. It's right? just Scrooge. Scrooge. Which is a subtle indication, I feel like, like he's already in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, but it's it's like nighttime of that yeah. Christmas. But he is like it could be Christmas Eve of that. It could be Christmas night of that night. You know, like yeah, that's yeah, a possibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and where is he? He's alone because that's what he would be. He's alone. So he's living his life as it would be that Christmas by himself. Yeah. And he's he's just wandering and he takes this sit down and let me rephrase that. He sits down, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my phraseology on that one? Jeez yeah, Louise. that was interesting. Oh, gosh. Went all the way around to Jupiter to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Golly. So, um, and as he's sitting, we actually need to take a break. But just like the movie did, <laughs> just just like the movie, right? We'll get a little commercial break in here. So, uh, we're gonna step away for a minute, and when we come back, we will wrap up this version of a Christmas Carol. Hell yeah! If I stopped your half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Tis hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking men's pocket every 25th of December. So we're back. Uh, Scrooge is is popping a squat under a bridge in the snow, <laughs> looking around for the spirit to come back and save him. I think that's what I wanted to say, but I was like, I can't say pop a squat because that means like he's taking a leak or something. But like, like or taking a like, I couldn't say it. But that was like I was already in like the frame like to get there. I was like, I'm trapped. I got yeah. no way out. He's got that runny, runny, gruel, poopy. He's got to oh. do. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God, you've been changing too many diapers. It's so true. Um, and it, you know what? At this point, it's still self-pity. Like, he's just seen this poor family. He's seen the I'm crashes, sorry. I thought you were talking things. about changing the diapers. It was just self-pity with you having to change diapers. No, but now I'm going to have to keep that in there. But um, <laughs> but Scrooge is like, please don't leave me here. Like, he's calling out to the spirit, like, quietly, like, Please have pity on me. Please don't leave me here. And it's like still about him. Like it's still all about himself in this moment. And then we get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's cool because he's under this like very big bridge, right? It's like kind of like a half cylinder. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there and then the lights come on at the end of the bridge and you just see like the black kind of imposing figure all in black a little bit like wavy stuff and it's it's spooky i mean it's the the best looking dementor i've ever seen good god it's skinnier and scarier than those damn cgi ones honest and true like this is terrifying so would you like to hear the absolute best piece of trivia about this movie hit me with your rhythm stick this Ghost of Christmas Present is played by an actor named Michael Carter, who you have definitely seen in a movie before. Really? It does sound familiar. He plays Bib Fortuna in Return of the Jedi. They want a wonder. My. nothing to say or reacting except for okay that's amazing i was looking at the cast list and i was just like wait a minute what (laughs) 
what are you talking about? But yeah, Bib, his, Bib Fortuna. For, watch out for Boba Fett. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, true. Um, Boba Fett. <laughs> so... I guess he's a thing like tall guy, expressive hands. It's just like I was saying with Doug Jones. Like this is why you cast him. Well, well, look, I when we just did the previous episode casting Carols, and I cast Adam Driver. I was thinking I need someone that is naturally yeah. tall. I yeah. can't be stilts. It has to be somebody that can get everything into their performance, move yeah. their body around, or be stoic and still when they need to be, and really sell like a hand movement or something. Yeah. Um. And you never really get a good look at this ghost. No. It's always out of focus or just out of frame. Or there's one really cool shot where it's like in the deep background with like lights and billowy whatever. Like it's really effective for being so simple. It's it's what you got to do. There's no other way to do it but this. And with this money, with this set, with like with what they had, this is the best version of this that they can do. Yeah. And and we get it a, sells. I mean, it sells really, really well. I, it's really, really eerie. I was scared, and if you could do that to a man who's seen how many freaking versions of this scene, not yeah. only in this but in all the other times, I maybe caught a glimpse of it on television here and there. This is played. This is done to death, and yet to have it hit hard and true and scary. Mm-hmm. Well done. Yeah, its hand looks a little bit like the alien hand from uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. (laughs) Did you get that vibe? I was thinking more E.T., but you know. uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean. Same. (laughs) Yes, Jimmy, both Lucasfilms did both of those. Shut up. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like at the end when it's doing the sign language, like that was sort of the the feeling I was getting. But anyway. Now I thought the hand from Total Recall. Like the no, alien spy one, like like, yeah, hey yeah, guys, yeah. I'm with you. And he takes out the one. He's got that like weird little, little taxi driver. Like, ugh. watch Total Recall, people. That movie rocks. Yeah, that's a not that's the remake one. Not the remake. No, 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 no. No, we don't advocate for that here. Um, so the first place they go, I mean, Scrooge is like, you know. I assume you're the ghost of Christmas present or future. You're going to show me things that haven't happened, but will happen. Very rational. Mm -hmm. The the spirit nods. And every time there's that, like, like that kind of screechy door, like scary movie sound effect. And it's nice and creepy. It almost signifies the ghost speaking, which is interesting. I mean, it's, I don't hate it. Yeah. It's it's, very effective. Look, it's not anything we've kind of seen before, and yet it feels natural. And if it feels natural, then you're doing something right. Yeah. And every time the thing moves, it's very slow, mm. which I think is really effective at selling the like the 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 eeriness of it, the unnatural kind of feeling that it has. And yet it feels like it's always moving. Mm-hmm. Like it's like yeah. it's got no time to waste, to speed up, to slow down. It just we're going yeah. because the future, time just keeps on ticking, ticking, yeah. ticking into the future. <laughs> I think it's slipping, but you know, well- <laughs> shut up, John, with your knowing how songs actually go. Um. So we go to the exchange, which looks like hell. I'm such an Alan Partridge. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, what did you think? So the, it, it's nighttime, right, at the exchange. I'm going to move you past this, James. I got you. <laughs> no, no, don't, because it's it's got to be, because that was embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, we go back to the exchange and we get the scene and it's solid. It's actually a really good version. Wish yeah. the nose was a little bit more, you know, how it would have been, but. Oh yeah. Like that, the one, the Richard Williams one where it's like flopping all around and like yeah. in his mouth and stuff. Oh. Um, Sorry, not to be, you know. The way that the exchange, though, is set up, like the exterior shot, it's nighttime. It's really misty. The lights in the windows look like fire. It looks like you're in hell. Like it's, it's as opposed to like the bright and cheerful daytime with kids playing out front that we saw in the first scene. Mm-hmm. Now it's like been kind of twisted into this like dark place. Right. Right. It's foggy. I didn't mean that. <laughs> um, But it's. It looks a lot like the uh, third act of Halloween, actually. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. With the blue lighting and um, which it's always how you should light nighttime, in my opinion. But or at least when you're trying to get this vibe and it's solid. And then we go to a familiar place, but with something not so. Yeah. Before we do, I think it's interesting. I just wanted to get your read on this. I felt like the guys at the exchange, like in previous times we've seen, it's much more like, uh, like just like a snake eating its tail, like Scrooge dies and they're all like, well, now we get to like bite off his share and I guess we'll go to the funeral. Right. I feel like this one, it's more about, they all just don't like Scrooge. Right, as we saw in the first scene, because he's always gouging them. He's always got them on the ropes, and now they can be like, oh, well, old Scratch got it finally. We don't have to deal with him anymore. Well, I I think it's like, I I feel like it's both, because I feel like there is still a little bit of that snake eating itself there, but it's also like, they're not as bad as he was. Yeah. Like, at the very least, like, they weren't Scrooge. And that's a common take, at least least how I feel about it, but, like, they are still joking about his death which is kind of a jerk move but you know yeah yeah um and then we get the dead body which is nice so we it actually the establishing shot is the door knocker so we're like this is definitely scrooge's house we as the audience there's no question for us we know it's scrooge's house but he's in there like uh i can't do this i can't I love an establishing shot. So this is a really good scene. Like this is like. Well, because what it sets up is like, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm like cutting you off. No, it's okay. He, um, he just has this, like he gets it, but he can't admit it to himself or the spirit. He knows. And that's the thing. I always say like, he's got to know because if he's being an idiot, I got like, there's something about stupid Scrooge I don't like. Like, yeah, he's got to know. He's he's got, he can't acknowledge. He can't acknowledge because the beat's got to be the same beat. I mean, this is how it was done in the novella. He's mm-hmm. got to be right. He like he can't even be that honest with himself, you know. So it was well done here. Really good. Well, and the thing that I think is interesting, you get a little bit of that, like, Guy Pierce rationality, right? Like, his whole thing was like, I'm going to reason my way through this. But I think what it's actually setting up here is he brings Scrooge to the dead body. And Scrooge has the choice to either look and just accept what's going on or to, like, talk his way through it and kind of out of it, which is what mm-hmm. he tries to do. Because what happens is it's like he definitely knows. And right. he's like, okay, I'm a commodities trader. I wheel and deal all the time. 
let me, I, I get it. Let me see some emotion connected with this man's death. All right. Cause it's like, okay, maybe if I see like that people are sad that he's dead, I'll feel like my life was fulfilling. Right. That's the thing he needs to see. And he's not admitting that he's dead, but he's just like, okay, if you want this, you got to trade me that. Yep. And they take him to the the a pretty seedy uh, version of the old Joe scene. At least the exterior is pretty seedy. It's definitely like Whitechapel or something. Yeah, it's probably the seediest one we've seen in color, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Or not animated. Like, it's filthy. Like, it's... Yeah. It's... But it's... And more, like, disreputable than, like... It just looks like drunk and floozies and, yeah. like... Not necessarily like the child labor weird rag pile thing that we saw in the Alistair Sim version. No, but more like just depressing. Seedy. Yeah, yeah. Like it just it, it's sticky. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really simple version of the of the old Joe scene because it's just old Joe and Mrs. Dilber, the charwoman. And here's another fun fact. This woman was also the this this actress, I should say also played the charwoman in the Patrick Stewart version. She's played this role twice. Does she play it on stage? Is like she the charwoman? I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. So she's in this version and the Patrick Stewart version. I'm I'm trying to find her name as um That's real like I mean maybe she random, yeah. I mean look, I could get it. You're 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 a character actor in London, the West. Liz Ed. Smith is the actress. Liz Smith. You're Liz Smith. You you have you know, you you need to make a living. The royalties off the nineteen eighty four uh, Christmas Carol aren't raking it in anymore, so you gotta go to work and you've played this part before. So they don't feel like they have to worry about you, which is yeah. probably comforting on a T V yeah. movie. You know, like and she she's was, also she's also in a um like an ITV like a British modernized TV version as a different character. So this is she's in, in at least three versions of a Christmas Carol on film. Is that the record? Oh no, no, we're not doing that. We're not counting who's been in the most productions because I'm sure. Well, this has to be the first time we've actually had any real crossover. Like I can't think of any other ones that we've seen. Crossover from versions that weren't either adaptations where somebody had done it before or done a version earlier on. Sure, yeah. Some, like we had um what was it? Seymour had done the two different versions. Yeah, he he played Scrooge in like a silent version and then a talkie. But you kind of expect that, I guess, with a lead character like yeah. that. Like it's yeah. like it's weird that it's this side character that's only in one scene. But she does it well, and I don't remember yeah. her being a problem. In fact, I remember the Patrick Stewart old Job scene was actually one of the strongest bits of that movie, if I'm not, not mistaken. Yeah, that was pretty good. We yeah. talked about that one pretty positively. So I think, you know, hey, maybe she brought something back to it because she does it great here. Yeah, it's interesting, too, to go from this, which I would say is like a really, really good TV movie version, to the Patrick Stewart one, which... God help the man. I love him to death, but it was not a very good version of A Christmas Carol. Oh, still my favorite. One of my favorite scenes ever, though, is when he remembers how to laugh. Uh, <laughs> it's That's the most Patrick Stewart acting choice I think I've ever seen ever. Because he really just goes for it with that kind I of stuff. I can't do it justice on, on a podcast because he doesn't laugh for like 30 seconds. Like he's just there with mouth open. Like, like choking wildly. on it. Yeah. <gasps> yeah patrick stewart i think i don't remember if i talked about this then and i'll probably cut this but i'm teaching macbeth right now and there's a we watch like different versions of the dagger soliloquy to kind of 
to compare performance. And in the Patrick Stewart version of the Dagger Soliloquy, there's a point where he talks about like death marching across the land, alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf. And then in the speech, it mentions something about the wolf howling and, and Patrick Stewart, God bless him howls the word howl in the middle of this monologue and it's like only you could get away with this patrick (laughs) only you i know actors who are subtle and they're all cowards (laughs) (laughs) it's wild he spent too much time in outer space i think it just Ah! it really did a number when you're acting Um, against cgi androids and dealing with gene rottenberry in season one you gotta do what you gotta do man i guess i guess um season one so what's interesting in this scene is so we finally get the payoff of of the uh the pocket watch because we hear the little chime in the pocket watch go off and we're like oh i know that watch that plays jingle bells that belonged to scrooge and he knows it too so he's very upset that they're selling all his stuff and then at the end of the scene right he kind of gets into that denial of like this this isn't my stuff it, similar to my stuff i get the point that you're making but um Traditionally, in the novella, old Job is right before the bedroom scene, or is it this order? <sighs> yeah, it normally is, because normally he asks to see emotion connected to the guy's death, and the spirit takes him to see the young couple who don't owe him money anymore. But he's not a moneylender in this version, right? He's a commodities trader, so... And that's, I will say, that's one fault here. Like, first of all, I we're going to get to it. I wish that scene was in this. I always yeah. wish that scene was in. But yeah. second it, of all, it gets done very rarely. I feel like well because it's freaking honest. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a punch in the face because we've all been there. We've all had a moment where because of some tragedy we have benefited in a weird way, yeah. and it sucks. Yeah, but again, we got to be honest about that type of stuff because if we not, then we're Part of it, too, is I think this version serves I think this version serves well here because the issue of this Scrooge is like he has spent his life on profit and profiteering and has Mm -hmm. taken pride in that. And when that you when you do that right and don't foster relationships the only emotion people are going to feel at your death is like happiness over what they can scrape off your corpse which is basically what this scene plays out he's like i ask you to show me emotion he goes to the spirit and he's angry right because now he's bargaining and he's like um you know i ask you to show me emotion and you show me greed and avarice can you show me some depth of feeling some um, some real actual tenderness in this time right and and he does the like the making a wish on a genie thing where you don't wish it word it just right because they end up at the cratchit house monkey's paw and yeah Yeah. it's uh (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right yeah um yeah he is it's the five i don't know if we thought about this before but it's the five steps of grieving five stages of grieving here and he's bargaining so hard in this moment and when we yeah. get what we get next he does not want to see yeah, he no. ne- he needs to see it yeah but and and george this is when he finally goes f- full full blind brian blair like he just yeah, goes yeah. full on like he just yeah. lets it all out and mm-hmm. it's awesome yeah because this because it's been a marathon up until this point but the ghost of christmas present as it usually or future i should say is 
a sprint, right? Yeah. As it usually is. So like we're going one scene to the next, one scene to the next. He sees it, he's reacting, we're moving forward. It's it's like a boxing match. I know we've yeah. already referenced Rocky, but it's like when you're going, like it it's punch and go. But when the match is about to wrap up, when the match is over, it's over pretty quick sometimes. Like yeah. it's like a, a, ser- a, a series of hits and then a knockout blow. And this is the series of hits. He's getting body blow, body blow, yeah, body, yeah. body blow. And, you know, and <sighs> little Max going down for the count here, man. Yeah. King Hippo's laying him in. <laughs> I will say, if this is a boxing match, then this is one of those moments where they, like, grab onto each other and, like, get a break. Because this Cratchit scene kind of chugs for me. I don't think this is a very good version of this scene. This is probably the weakest Cratchit material in this movie. Yeah. And it's probably because it doesn't have Tiny Tim. I, I think that it is, it's the Hallmark thing, like you were saying before. It's okay. that the sentimentality. Yeah. So for me, I watch it and I don't, I feel like this, this scene is more like characters making speeches than it is humans reacting to uh death you know what i mean because mm-hmm. it's like we get like bob crying and like the my little child thing because he's just come back like it starts off on the right note like mrs cratchit's pretty sad she's sewing like there's mm-hmm. definitely a tonal difference he comes back in but what happens is like he's sad and the kids are like don't feel so sad father and it's like well his child just died don't tell like he can be sad but also like he's like I apologize. I'm sorry for being sad because he's like cradling the little crutch. And then he's like, I'm going to give a speech about like how wonderful it is that I still have all of you. Right. And then Mrs. Cratchit gives a speech about like, whenever we think of tiny Tim, we're always going to, and it, it just, it rang really like performancey. And it was too, it ended on a too happy of a note where I think about like the Seymour Hicks version. Right. Mm. And how, like how well that threaded the needle of showing the solidarity of the Cratchits, but also showing the pain. And this version can't get itself to lean into the pain in a way that I think weakens this moment because George C. Scott is acting it as though it is breaking him where he's like, okay, the fight is out of me. Like I get it. Take me home. I can fix this. Right. There's a resolve there of like, okay, that, that needs to change. Right. And you, again, agreed. Seymour Hicks, I think, does it a little bit better. Mickey Mouse does it better. Yeah. Without any dialogue. It just, like, plays. With an animator's hand and a score and all the setup to that punch. Even the Richard Williams one where it's just Bob crying over the deathbed and that's it. That's all you get. Like You you need that more than anything else with the Cratchit scene, honestly. You could get... you. You could get rid of, and I don't mean to be dismissive of them, every other Cratchit in the sequence, you need Bob with Tim. Yeah. Either at his grave or over the bed or with the crutch crying. Yeah. That and has I think- to be there. And it's, it's gotta be ugly, it's gotta be it's gotta be sad, and it's gotta be raw. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it. So I think part of the issue is the script hues really close to the original text. And a lot of this dialogue they're saying is from the original text. But I think that it, they didn't quite figure out, like, how do we how do we take that and set it up in a way that's going to actually, like, 
pull up an emotion because part of it is Scrooge should look at it and be like, this is unjust and I want to fix it. And I get a sense from the way they deliver these lines that it's like, a, this is a tragedy, but the Cratchits are going to move forward and like we're all together. And it doesn't feel like a, this senseless thing shouldn't have happened. It feels like a, even if it does happen, we're going to be okay. And I think that's kind of okay with the Cratchits, but I don't know. I just, I feel like, in order for me to feel like Scrooge needs to change, this scene needs to feel like there's like this missing piece in the family and they're going to try, but we don't know if they're going to be able to hold it together or not. Do you think they're trying to do a statement of like how Victorian London would have been like by the books, business as business, you know, like, you know, like we I mean, will, that's we the will, way he wrote it. Right. Like we're going to pull up our bootstraps and we're going to do our best and, and, it, it, and what George is doing here, maybe, is seeing the lie for what it is. Maybe it's a stretch. It's it a is stre- a stretch. Yeah. It's a stretch. But I could, I could buy that because yeah. I mean, I've seen in different versions of pieces where somebody is saying like carousel, right? Mm-hmm. When the horrible line of "He hit me, Mama," but it kind of felt like a kiss. <laughs> Can somebody hit you, but that doesn't even hurt, or some bullshit like that? And <laughs> our, our, our bit, which is like the worst thing ever oh, written. Yeah. Okay, Richard Rogers. Right, right. It's like the worst line ever in Rogers and Hammerstein. But on the other side of the stage, we had a Billy Bigelow who watched that and completely had a mental breakdown on stage because he knows that's BS. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe that's what George is trying to do here. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a big ask and it's a big reach, but maybe it's like, no, this whole like, oh, the way of the world is just the way of the world and we will persevere on throughout. It. I, I w- if, if, if I felt like they were avoiding talking about it and trying to push forward, I would agree. But the thing is, they lean into the sentimentality again, which I think works when you're talking about the magic of Christmas and talking about how together your family is. And I struggle with when it's like we're processing the death of like our baby boy. You know what I mean? It's like... I mean, For me, there was just something about it that was like a little bit off, and I would just love to have seen it tweaked. Oh, I'm there with you, and that's how I got it as well. But just upon reflection on it, that's a that's a possibility there. That's totally. a po- that yeah. is that is because just because like you're saying, George brings it. George is all in uh, on this scene, yeah. and he's putting his working boots on and going to work, yeah, walking yeah. around in working boots. Um, so. He asked to be taken home, <laughs> and he is. Oh, but it, but it is not. It is not to his home. <laughs> He's taken to the graveyard. Um, another fun fact: the the Ebenezer Scrooge headstone in this scene is still in this graveyard in Shropshire. That's freaking awesome! I yeah, yeah. it's like a real that. gravestone you can go and visit if you go to the town. Oh, no, you shouldn't have said that, John. <laughs> You shouldn't have said that because now I've got to go visit it at some point in my life. Like now yeah. it's got to happen. Like we're going yeah. there now. Like we're yeah. doing this. Like yeah. 65, 60, we're going there, man. And like we'll make it happen. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to those senior, you know, those uh, social security checks coming for me because like cause they'll, they'll still be around, right? Both of you to assume social, social security will still exist by that point. I mean, um, it's not like we're just getting rid of stuff in this country. So, so he's begging here. I mean, he gets, he gets to the graveyard and this is the, he's finally broken. Like he's crying. He is, he is 
is doing that last minute like just just tell me like can i change these things by changing the way i exist like i know that men's futures lead them down certain paths to certain ends but if i change the path then the end has to change that has to be how it works and i feel like he really sells that like rationality of like trying to like puzzle his way through Mm -hmm. is this how it's going to work right because in a way he's accepting it but he hasn't you know like he's 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 Mm -hmm. It's he needs that he needs at that moment that hope because he's at stage four, not acceptance. That's stage five. He's at despair. Yeah. And he is he is so he knows what's on the other side of this walk. He knows what he's about to look at and he knows what that means. That means that he can't do anything anymore. He can't change anything. He can't save tiny Tim. Yeah. And. George. Everything's set up. Take us home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. For real. He really, really does well. So he gets to the point of like breaking down and he falls across the gravestone after he kind of like smooths the the snow away. And he wakes up and he's in his room. And he is like grateful. It's a really like heartwarming moment, his moment of realizing that he's back and that he has this chance. It's one of the most realistic versions of this. Like, it's early in the morning. It's like, it's, and it's not that over the top. Yeah. But it's, it's. Well, we will get to the over the top later. We'll get there, but like, he feels it. Like, he's like, he really, he's humbled. Yeah. On his knees praying. Right. Yeah. Like, he's really brought down and thankful for it yeah and it's beautiful to watch yeah it's really good and then he falls asleep look he's exhausted yeah he can have a good night he can have he can have a nap this guy can have a cat nap he's gonna have a long day ahead of him right so presumably like falls asleep on his knees there but beside his bed he prayed until he fell asleep he was that happy and look i i kind of i get that it, it it makes it makes a lot of sense, and he's granted rest because what was he doing after the first ghost? Yeah, that was this first prayer was that, and he gets it. He's granted rest, and he gets just a little bit. But get your butt up because now it's yeah. Christmas Day and we got work to do. It also honestly casts some doubt over whether any of this happened at all. Right. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, oh, now it's weird. Like, was he sleeping in his dream? What's going on? Right. We wake up in dreams sometimes. I mean, I'm yep. not saying anything. You don't know people. You've had them. Like, and it's it's wonderful to see. It also happens here. Let's be honest, because it's a commercial break. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. So he <laughs> throws open his window. Right. He gets up, opens his window. It's Christmas morning. We get... um the really classic like kid in the street all that and he's just sort of like naturally slipping into this like i'm a nice guy now right which is honest because yeah you've we've all been in a funk we've all been in like something has happened and we're in a mood and whatever that mood is that is our world and that is all our world can be at that moment and so and then somebody says a joke you see something, you hear a song, you eat something, you drink something, you smoke something, you do something, and it changes your outlook. You talk to somebody, 
You talk to something, you talk and you feel better on the other side of it. And your mood can completely change and you can be a completely different person. And that's what Scrooge is here. And it's, again, it's not a, like you say, it's gradual, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. like zero to 60. You it's sort like, of don't notice it happen because George C. Scott's such a magician. Like, because that's how you do a magic trick, people. That's yeah. how you do this. You do this, you build. And then when he gets to the highs of what we'll get to eventually, it's earned. Yeah. Sorry, hold on. Wait, raising two kids and working at a school? I know, I know. It's wild. I'm just like trying not to like provide for a family there, Bob Cratchit. Come on now. <laughs> Jeez. Um <laughs> so he he uh dresses up, he like jumps on the bed, he does all, all his giddy like a drunken man, he waltzes with his coat at one point, right? Yep. And then he gets dressed and he's got his nice like like silk red waistcoat on for Christmas and he comes down and the kid's there with the turkey and, and all this stuff and he sends it off to Camden Town. One little bit of business here, the guy's giving the kid crap, like we kind of yeah. move, we'll also over it, but great kid on the street, you know, great delivery and the guy delivering the turkey is just like, are you, you you better not be pulling my leg here. I'm going to beat you up, kid. Like this is that's yeah. Christmas. You got me yeah. out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. Oh, um, this is a big butt turkey. This is a huge turkey. <laughs> it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. And yeah, legitimately. It really is. Look, don't tell me something and not have it be true. You yeah. have, if you're going to say something is bigger than Tiny Tim, it's got to be damn odd bigger than Tiny Tim. And um, it's great. Yeah, it's huge. And we actually see him deliver it to Camden Town, which is fun because, like, Bob is standing there with this big, giant turkey. And he <laughs> thinks it's from Fred. That I think that's the assumption he makes is that is that Fred sent it. Which is nice because that gives yeah. – it gives – I like it. And I don't like it. Sometimes I feel like we don't need to see that part of the equation, right? It's like let Bob's family just have that day. We don't know how awesome that day was. We've already invaded their privacy enough as it is. But right. I do. I don't mind that. I didn't. I mean, maybe I would have thought of that as if I was writing this type of scene. But like that makes a lot of sense that Fred would send him a gift because they've already. We know what. Um, Bob's going to say later, or does he see he's in a church actually in this version where he gets the mm-hmm. job, right? So yeah. it wouldn't have been already done or maybe it had been. I'm just, well, yeah, I think presumably, awesome. <laughs> presumably they go to the same church. The one thing I did think is that Turkey is so big. The reason Bob was late is because they didn't start eating until like two o'clock in the morning with how long it would take to cook. It. <laughs> okay, That's the thing, right? Okay. Let's pause for a moment here. I was thinking about this when we were talking about how damn big this thing is. Mrs. Cratchit's got to cook that thing. Yeah. Holy cow. Thank God it's not frozen. Thank I think that they would God. actually, if I, if I remember correctly from the novella, it actually talks about like people would take their like birds to like a baker's shop or something. There was some place where you, where you would take them where like the store wasn't doing business, but they just had the ovens going. So if you like had a big thing to cook that you couldn't fit in at home, Right. It's not like today where you get like the little electric turkey cooker and put it on the counter and do it like that or whatever. No, no, no. I know what you're talking about. And look, I think that's awesome. 
but I still feel for Mrs. Cratchit because yeah, God, for real, that thing is not going to be done till eight o'clock that night at least. Yeah, at least these kids. I mean, they probably don't have school the next day because their teachers aren't Ebenezer Scrooge, but they are. Yeah. She's also uh, cooking it over a fire. It's not like it's cooking over in like an oven. No, no, this is insane. And I hope she doesn't mess up the pudding now. (laughs) Can't get everything right. Um, So uh, Scrooge is out and he's all like nice and gregarious and he's complimenting everyone on music when he was being like a real, you know, Scrooge about it before. Um, He's almost trying to get into the spirit. Like, he's yeah, like, mm-hmm. he's, he's like forcing himself to listen yeah. to the music. So he's like a l- doing it a little too hard. Like he's pushing right. it. But not, but not too much. It's like, right. I remember this. Like, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, like riding yeah. a bike. It's like riding a bike. I do like music. Okay. I just... Yeah. He like drops the coin in the cup and he's like, and thank you so much for this beautiful music on this glorious Christmas day. Blah, 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 blah. And he's, like he's going down the line. <laughs> he, he's, he's like we just said, he was in a funk for yeah. 30 to 40 years. Yeah, easy. Yeah, like like it takes a long time to remember how to ride that bicycle. Yeah. Um. Uh, we get the charity collectors. Alfred's back. Yeah, he is, and it's well done here. They do everything the right way. They yeah yeah. It's it's it is a little bit paint by paint by numbers. Um, you always paint by colors, Jimmy, but you also have to paint by numbers. <laughs> if you're painting by numbers, you yeah. schmuck. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good scene. They do the thing I always like, which you, the only way to do it is you don't keep it a secret. Yeah. You, you can't say the amount. We won't know exactly what that means. It could be like saying, I want a gajillion billion trillion dollars, you know? Like, yeah. 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 Whatever, wherever the joke was. So like, yeah, just keep it a secret. The expression sells it, and it's a good version of this. They do one thing here that, um, and for for anyone who's listening to this who I've directed in a play, just you'll have to accept this. This is like a like an acting pet peeve that I have. Where at the very end of the scene, Scrooge walks away, and the two of them they're so excited that they both just start like talking, but they're not actually saying anything to each other, and it's like that like. We have to improvise saying something and being excited. So we're just going to say a bunch of syllables at each other and hope it kind of sounds maybe like a conversation. And it drives me so crazy. It's so hard to explain. You just have to go watch this scene. Peas and carrots, peas and carrots. It's like, no, that crap don't fly with Jimmy. You have a full on conversation if you're on stage, man. Like, that's my favorite thing to do on stage. Like when you have to fill something with like conversation and improv, it's some of the weirdest stuff can just come up because either you are talking about nonsense or you're actually just creating an interesting backstory for characters. Oh yeah. But it's just one of those moments where I was like, Oh, that's like some real, that's, that's, some real community theater acting they happening in this TV professional TV movie. I remember clocking that a little bit. Yeah, they needed they they should have cut a few frames earlier. Like just just like like as Scrooge walks past. Yeah, it there. goes on just long enough that you're like, oh, they're not actually saying anything. They also had to fill a two hour runtime per commercial beat, so they're putting sure. everything in there. Sure. Um, so Scrooge goes to see Fred. Um. This is good. It's really good. It's really good. And it's a scene that really highlights something that they do here that I think is better than any other time we've seen it. That Scrooge is not a completely different person. 
he's still the same person his his worldview has changed and his values have changed but he's still a little smug he's still a little like full of himself right the way that he plays this scene but he's also like penitent for the things that he's done wrong right? right he's come to apologize he knows who he is yeah he's self-aware like that's all right we're gonna go there for a second i'm a big loud guy okay i'm a big loud dude and i know i'm a big loud dude and i try to check myself occasionally i try to pull myself back in and i try to apologize when i know i've gone overboard or something like that and i try to be honest about it scrooge is being honest with himself for the first time in a long time yeah probably since the days of alibaba honestly like and he wasn't even honest to himself back then in that scene when he's looking back at his past so now he's honest here and this is it's really freaking good uh, real quick, as Scrooge is not uh, coming in, we see a cute little scene where Fred's giving a present uh, to his wife. I thought it was pretty nice. It was a little, little yeah. Cool. He's got like a little, a little like modest piece of jewelry for her. Hey, you know what? It's a, it's an honest example of where he is in his station of life, which is yeah. good. It's, it's like, don't paint it all like rosy. It's like there's some people are just you know better off in this world, and we're gonna be honest about who is and who isn't. And yeah, totally. You feel how totally. you want to feel, audience. Yeah, I think that the uh, one thing that is also really interesting in this scene that I don't think we've ever seen before is that they use Fred and his wife as closure for the Bell storyline. Yeah. Right? Because Scrooge talks to Fred and he's like, he's talking to Fred and he's talking to her and he's like, you know, I was in love once. Can you believe that? Like he talks to them about it and actually like opens up about it. So he's like, you know, can you believe that I was in love once? And he's like, but I lacked the, I lacked the courage or, or, um, the conviction to do the right thing in that situation or to, to let myself give in to, to love or whatever. Um, and he admits to them like that he, that was foolish and that he's proud of them for like, what they're doing and and that's all the closure you need right like he doesn't need to get back together with her to fix that he's not going to he needs to be able to acknowledge that at the time he wasn't brave enough to do what he had to do he's healed and that's the beauty of it he's actually been healed in that exchange in that moment it reminded me a little bit of um which version had him looking at the, the at the uh at the um the ornament. Uh, that was the Seymour Hicks one. Yeah, it was yeah. the Seymour because that was another really good. It was a, reconciliation. It's scene. right there with that scene, like yeah. with like where he's at, and like with and it's a different type of closure, but it's another great bit. And I'm when you could land this scene because this scene is this is like for people who don't like Lord of the Rings, the last half hour of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah. Yeah, but if you like it, they did it really well. I liked it. There were some things they should have left in, but he, here they're doing a scene that a lot of people brush over, don't care about really well, and make it something you want to watch. And if you can do yeah. that, because a lot of people are looking at their watches to get to get it out of the place quick, right? Yeah, like when's he going to talk to Bob? Can we? Can we? Yeah, we wrap you know. this thing up, man. But like, 
it's it's done well and I didn't want to leave this scene because every time I thought they were going to cut away, it just kept going a little bit further with the bell stuff and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's get Bob in the mix because so we see uh, <laughs> we see Scrooge in the counting house and he's looking at his watch. It's the next day and he's like, oh, 15 minutes late. Bob Cratchit. Oh, we'll see about this. Too much, too much turkey last night, you know, and yeah. and and Bob's kind of walking, stumbling, like he definitely had a few too many the night before. Like, yeah, yeah, he's all is, drugged up on tryptophan too from all the yeah. turkey. I mean, look at that turkey; it was twice the size of Tiny Tim. Yeah, and yeah. when he gets to the door and the doors are already open, and he realizes Scrooge is in there, he does his best Dick Van Dyke impersonation, and it's amazing. Oh my God, Dick Van Dyke would be such a good Bob Cratchit. I almost, why did we not? Why didn't I think of that? Because I heard him in Mary Poppins. <sighs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I love Mary Poppins because Caractacus love- Potts is is basically Bob Cratchit, right? Like yeah. that's essentially the same mm-hmm. archetype. Yep. Wow. Wow. I know. I know. But it. Yeah, once you think about it, it's like it, it's it's. I can't. We can't do it. We we couldn't yeah. do it. It was. Yeah. He's. No, I know. I, I that thought had crossed my mind, but I I thought about him his accent and Mary Poppins as much as I love it. Mary Poppins, you know, or whatever it was. Yeah, that would be bad. That would be bad, right? Yes and no. <laughs> everybody else would hate it i would kind of love it and yeah sure sure and all right so a a 1960s walt disney cast oh my gosh there's you gotta have the uncle for mary poppins be bob be uh jacob marley no he's fezzy wigs he's fezzy wig yeah yeah who's dick van dyke's marley he's the guy at the bank (laughs) Good grief. All right. Let's get this show on the road. So um, we're looking at our watches and we want to hit the door, but we're doing this scene right and we're having fun. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So Bob comes in and yeah, it is a great moment because he's like going to put his key in the door and the door's already open and the music kicks in and it's like, <laughs> oh no. And he comes and like tries to sneak in and like light his candle and we don't see Scrooge anywhere in the counting house. And then we hear it like. George C. Scott, Bob Cratchit. <laughs> You've been and the look on his face as he puts the matches down. He's yeah, like, he's like, I am getting fired. I I did it one too many times. And it's the day after his least favorite day of the year, and I know it. And when he turns, Scrooge is silhouetted by the window and looks like the ghost of Christmas future. And it's it's so scary. He looks like almost like a reverse Ned Beatty from Network. You have meddled <laughs> with the primary forces of nature, Mr. Cratchit, and you <laughs> will atone. <laughs> Jeez. So, Bob, yeah, so Bob comes into his office, and that's like the worst part of it. It's not like oh. they had that conversation right there. He Scrooge gives him like that little like finger mm. beckon, and it's like, come into my office, please. Just like Oof. the ghost, because he Oof. saw the ghost, so he's doing an impersonation of the ghost. This is genius. It's so interesting. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, and then it's like basically, you know, I was making Mary blah blah blah. I'm not going to stand for this anymore, Ooh. and therefore, and therefore, uh, therefore, I'm going to raise your salary. Oh. And you get that good, like, kind of like inebriated uh, George C. Scott laugh right yeah. there, very taken with himself. And what I realized finally in this moment, right, it, it is taken watching this movie. This watching this story 25 times to actually help me realize this is this is Fezziwig. He yes! becomes Fezziwig. Yes. When he tells in the earlier episode, when he, when we, it's, uh, when the ghost questions Fezziwig, he says, he, I, like almost he should have said it the other way. Yeah. I, he, he could be providing this service. Yeah. He could be Fezziwig. And he had him as a teacher. And, like, he worked with him. And, like, the fact that now he gets to be Fezziwig. Yeah. He's so happy. His yeah. smile is beaming. When it, what sold it for me was, like, his, you know, buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. And it just reads very similar to the way Fezziwig was talking to them about getting set up for Christmas. Like, like right. we're done with our work and you're going to set up for Christmas. Like, that whole thing. And I cannot believe I've never, like, threaded that needle all the way through to the end. And maybe it's just a performance thing. Like, George C. Scott really leans into it. I don't know. No, but it's like, it's a great need versus want. He wants to be like his father because he wanted his father's love. He needs to be like Fezziwig. And he is. And yeah. it's, yeah, that's, that's, have we solved a Christmas carol? Yeah. We might have just it. solved yeah. the Christmas carol. That's it. We're done. Yeah. All right, John, um, call it. <laughs> well, let's finish the movie because Pack we get... it up, guys. We're done. <laughs> Put those lights down. I know we didn't do any video here. We th- were thinking about it, but why did you bring cheesecake tonight? Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Put the sign up, too. All right. Larry. 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 Larry, check your batteries. I could keep going. I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I know you could. I know for a fact that you could. Because um, I'm loud and annoying, and I'm sorry. So <laughs> Fred is our narrator, and he kind of closes us out with the classic ending. Um, mm. We see Scrooge like walking through Camden Town, and Tiny Tim comes out, no crutch, and he runs up to Scrooge, and uh, Scrooge, George C. Scott, hefts that kid up. Picks him up real high, puts him on his shoulder, and they walk off through the street. Gives him a little kiss on the cheek. It's like real Grandpa Scrooge energy. It was beautiful. It was. Yeah. It warmed my heart. It was. Look, he's not on his shoulder, but that's Bob's job. Bob, that's yeah. Bob's yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's. And we end with my favorite type of ending in any movie, ever. It is a Charlie Chaplin trope. It is the open road. The future yeah. is mm-hmm. ahead of us. Yeah. Right. Scrooge is going to walk into the future with Tiny Tim and the Cratchit family by his side. And who knows what's going to happen because it hasn't been written yet. No fate, but what we make. And we it's simple, but there's a reason why it's a bit of a cliche because it works. Mm -hmm. It works and it's solid here. And a made for TV movie in 1984 says more with what it had than majority of the adaptations we have seen with quadruple the budget, honestly, when you think about Mm -hmm. it, when you add Mm -hmm. certain versions into it and like you really do the math on it, like I am left dumbfounded that a, I have not watched this one before 
and if I have, I've forgotten it. And B, if I ever mocked it as like, oh, just another one. This has merit. Yeah. This is it has earned its spot and should be recognized as the great adaptation that it is. Yeah. Yeah, and that brings us to the end of this version of A Christmas Carol. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning. So, Jim, now that we're here, I have some questions for you. All righty. What is getting your enormous Christmas turkey for this version of A Christmas Carol? So here's the thing. I haven't, we don't talk about this between us. A little behind, you know, inside baseball, behind the curtain type of stuff here. We don't honestly talk about this. I am 99% positive that if I pick one, you're going to pick the other of something. And both are great options. Okay. But I'm going to go with what my gut is here. I've got to give it up to the ghost of Christmas present. Okay. Mm. The ghost of Christmas present is honestly, pause for a second. I had autoplay on my YouTube channel because I was watching some highlights as we were reviewing it. It just streamed out of YouTube into Jingle All the Way. Ooh. Why, God? <laughs> the Ghost of Christmas Present is amazing. It is. You go back and listen. It is the thing that I am shocked they keep getting wrong. It is. It is such. In my mind, it was such. A layup. It was such a thing that it just would it's it's easy, right? Yeah. But I guess it's not easy. It's not easy to balance all the things that the season has to be at the same time as giving speaking truth to Scrooge. Yeah. And and everything he needs to hear and not what he wants to hear. Again, he doesn't want to hear any of this. He fights it back against it. He gives contempt. He makes arguments against it. But the Ghost of Christmas Present stands true and really drags out the soul of Ebenezer Scrooge to where it's ready. It's at the surface level of when he leaves him. And he's ready for what comes afterwards. It is the best version, is the best acted I have seen the Ghost of Christmas Present. It is, in my head, it is what I would now see. It has yeah. supplanted some very iconic ghost of christmas presents it is now the visual in my head yeah yeah i would say i think part of my issue is like this is spoilers or i don't know if it's spoilers but full disclosure this is the version of this that i grew up with Mm -hmm. was this version like this is the first adult version of a christmas carol that i ever watched right so pretty formative for me but i would say i have compared every ghost of christmas present that we've seen to this one and found them lacking mm-hmm. right like it this right. has been like the touchstone that none of them have quite reached so i definitely agree with you on that one you have been measured you have been tried and you've been found wanting i'm glad you got the reference yeah. what was that what is that i, I that's remember- a knight's tale Damn, I, I, that was in the video of the of the uh, period pieces, and yeah. they said like historians don't judge Night Tale the same way because it's not trying to be historically accurate. It is very much trying. It's like they put yeah. Monty Python yeah, yeah, and that yeah. together, and it's like. By the way, 
that might be Python. It's pre- holds up visually pretty well, even though they're all because the king's not covered in stuff. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Night's Tale is pretty good. Um, and Ghost of Christmas Present is pretty darn good here too. Yeah, yeah. But John, what gets your Christmas turkey? Listen, where can this go but to the top? I, 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 I again, I was ninety percent positive <laughs> that it was going to be. I, I yeah. waffled on this back and forth, but don't. I don't, I don't like giving the Christmas turkey to Scrooge because it's a, it's easy. Right, like it's the actor who does the. He's in every single scene. He is doing the majority of the acting. But mm-hmm. George C. Scott deserves a place among the greats. Right, he is on the podium with Alistair Sim, with Seymour Hicks, with like the strongest of the strong that we have watched Academy, for this performance. Academy Award winning George C. Scott. Who would have guessed he's been one of the best freaking Scrooges? And yeah, he's yeah. got to overcome a lot. He's not a he's not a UK actor. Like he doesn't right. have any type of accent, but he brings it, and he's awesome here. Yeah, real. It's really flawless. Like if you had told me George C. Scott was was some version of English, I wouldn't have questioned it because it really is just effortlessly coming out of him. And it doesn't even really matter that much, honestly, because it's such a great performance, and yeah. mm-hmm. he. And here's the reason why it's not the wrong choice, John, because me speaking for you, <laughs> but please, but, but you know what I mean? Like, cause this was my other option as well. Uh, by the way, were you going to go with ghost of Christmas president? If I picked Scrooge. So I didn't, I, I was waiting to see what you picked. I had George C. Scott written down, but that was always in the back of my head. So right. it definitely it, could have it, happened that way. That's why I fit. Yeah. Cause I was, that's who I was debating too. And what Scott does though, is he elevates the entire piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without George C. Scott, this is a good version of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And it's true with all versions that a Scrooge makes or break it. But here, he doesn't only just make it. He elevates it to something better than what it could be. It's a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. And it's and that's back when that was an insult. Like, that, like yeah. this is like when the t- movie of the week was like... You, know, you could have thrown any septuagenarian actor of the time in this role and had it be perfectly pedestrian. Like it would have been whatever. Buddy Hackett was ready. <laughs> he wasn't working in 1983-84. Like he was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I want to see that version now. Like, no, John. For real. Just like George C. Scott's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Inverse on that. Ooh. What is going to get a, a lump of coal in its stocking for this version of A Christmas Carol for you? Well, honorable mention to the tone of Alfred's uh, Money Collector. Not my favorite interpretation of the part, but sure. But not it's that's nitpicking. That's nothing really bad, and nothing really here does active harm. At least I would think. I yeah. mean, none of it's really like dragging the whole piece down. If I had any. I'm, here's the thing. This is how you know it's a great movie. I'm really trying to think about like what was the thing if I could go back and change. Stingers of the score. Mm-hmm. There are certain moments when the score is trying to do more heavy lifting than it needs to do, and it's actually being actively harmful to the film. Yeah, and, and I think if you take those out, 
you, you, you're a little bit more reserved on the on the beats and the score here. And it's not, and it's it's out of nowhere a lot of the time. Like it doesn't really like go, but when it does, it's distracting. Yeah, and it takes mm-hmm. you out of it. And that's and that's not to say the score isn't good in some parts. In other parts, it's amazing. But those key moments when it's very just, of its time. Yeah, yeah. and it, but it doesn't. I don't even think it worked then. Honestly, I think it was just people didn't know. People they made fun of it on, on TV shows. That's why parodies were so e- much easier back then because regular TV sucked. Yeah, you know why you don't see as many parodies on Saturday Night Live because they're the sucky TV show now, and the other shows are good. <laughs> I'll stand by that statement. Yeah, they, they don't know how yeah. to make fun of modern entertainment because modern entertainment's better. Yeah. This, this was a hangover from a bad tell. This this is proof that it's a made for TV movie. Yeah, totally. John, what gets your coal? Man, so I think honorable mention goes to the missing um, ghosts in the night sequence after Jacob Marley. Yeah, that's a good. That's yeah it doesn't hurt as much as because you you mentioned last time there was still some some stuff going on there and there's how you, you hear it it's it's one of those things like maybe it's not necessary but i think i just think after such a strong marley mm-hmm. scene it it would have been a nice punctuation mark instead of him like sitting down and just sort of floating out the window um but for me i think the thing that really that i looked at and was like this is actively harming my my um my ability to engage with this movie was the tiny tim death scene that i just think fell flat i think it fell victim to the stuff we had talked about before where like the fred scene was like a little bit too too hallmark the the first cratchit seems a little bit too hallmark but you can forgive that because they're sort of supposed to be like Right, the fr- the Fred scene is supposed to be driving Scrooge crazy with how sentimental he's being. Mm-hmm. The the Cratchits are supposed to be sentimental, but I think that if that's setting up a really raw and broken Cratchit family when Tiny Tim dies, then it works better. Mm-hmm. But because that was also very sentimental and hallmarky and didn't really have the impact I wanted, I think it hurts. Like it made Scrooge's ultimate like breakdown at the end feel more motivated by I don't want to be dead than I want Tiny Tim to live. And that's a problem for me. So that's going to get my lump of coal. I agree with you. I mean, I like I said, I think there's a possibility of one type of really like attempt at saying something there, like with again Victorian London and how like Scrooge sees the life for what it was. But that's stretching, and I I think you're yeah, right. And hard it, to say. And it no, it should be Bob crying. I need Bob to cry. I mean, I, sorry, this is a passion. We need to see Bob to cry here, and yeah. we don't get it. Well, James, do you see this? So this is the the first time at least you know of that you've watched this, right? This is the first time I can honestly say I know I've watched this. It's possible it was on the TV in the background because I was a child and I didn't have the remote control. But it's it's I don't remember it at all. Yeah. Do you feel like this is in your Christmas future or is it going to stay in your Christmas past? Hell yeah, this is my Christmas future. This is, this is, I, I was going to do a bit about like, oh no, it sucked. It was like, no, I can't even do that. Like, it's too good. It's, this is, 
All cards on the table. One of, if not the greatest adaptations of A Christmas Carol I've ever seen. And it might not do certain moments as well as I would like them to be. But its batting average is the best I've seen in any adaptation so far. It just keeps hitting it out of the park and or gets on base for other baseball analogies. Like it, <laughs> RBIs are great. Look, it just it's it's consistent. It has an amazing performance in George C. Scott. Some of the visuals are really impressive. All three ghosts are the best they could do. Marley for God's sakes, our namesake is amazing in this version. Like it's, it lacks one or two things. And I wouldn't say it's my favorite Marley scene, but Holy crap. It keeps it. It's me. It's fantastic. So I think it has to be because I'm going to want to a watch it and B show it to people. This is going to be something I'm going to be like, we're going to just put on some Christmas Carol episodes and we're going to watch this. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. going to watch this and a couple other versions and call it a night. Maybe watch a Christmas story and eight bit Christmas, by the way, eight bit Christmas. You're not a Christmas story, but you're pretty darn good. <laughs> Throw that one in there for spice, but also feeling a little spicy. want to ask you a question, Mr. John Newman, mm-hmm. Mr. John. <laughs> I'll keep one of them. Yeah, that's why I did it, because I realized I should have said his last name. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> um, Is this in your – is this the Ghost of Christmas Future or Ghost of Christmas Past? So this is my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. It was before we started this podcast, and I thought maybe I'll discover something I like more. And I honestly have not. It is still my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. I think it does basically everything right. And like you said, there's are there things that it would be nice if it included? Are there things that it could have done better? Certainly. But I think that it is far and away the strongest adaptation in terms of in the areas that I think are really critical, which is like Scrooge's arc as a character, the interactions with the ghosts, the way that his character remains consistent, but changed at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just think it, I think it rocks out loud. I think it's so good. The one thing I just thought of though, is, is there any moment in this version, right? Like we, I joke about like wanting to do like, take all these versions. We've like watched, a super cut, a super cut, right? What's the moment from here? And that's the thing I can't think of because it's all good. I'm trying to think of what is that jump out like moment. And we, I look back to our, our, our turkeys and like, would we have, you can't have George C. Scott throughout the whole dang thing. And the ghost of Christmas present is a whole sequence. So it's the, the thing that you take from this is the family under the bridge leading into ignorance and want. All right. Can we, can we both agree? Let's. I, we we said the two things that we definitely jumped out at us. Yeah. You know what? I'm 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 sidekick. I'm I'm pulling out the Ricky gets to pick an adventure card. You know, like thing. <laughs> like I'm I'm I'm, pick, I'm calling an audible. That is going in the Jacob Marley is dead Hall of Fame of scenes. The under the bridge scene. Ooh, would you okay. agree? Would you agree that that deserves that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think here are the Mm -hmm. qualifications. It has to be a completely original scene that's not in the novella. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Um, we'll yeah. go back and see if there's anything that should be in this, right? But, but like, it needs to be something that's not a novella. It needs to be amazing, obviously. It can't yeah. be crap. Yeah, I would say like this, this and the uh, the scene with the miners in the church and the Guy Pierce version, right? I feel like that's a contender for this category as well. <laughs> But that's not a first balloter. That's not a first balloter. That's gotta. That's gotta pay its dues. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's gotta yeah, wait yeah, a few yeah. seasons because that one can't go in. But I think if you would sign off on it, I think that is something that I think. So would it be just the Hall of Fame or what would we call this? Because this deserves to be acknowledged. Like this needs to be talked about. Gosh, this is not talked yeah. about enough. Like this. This needs to be. Filmmakers need to do this scene more. What this scene does more, yeah. and they yeah yeah yeah. I, I the Hall of Fame. The Jacob Marley is well. We'll come up. Yeah, the Jacob Marley is dead. Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put it in the mausoleum. There we go. That's it. Yeah. Damn it! I did it. You're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> going in the mo- That's going in the mausoleum. Yeah, that's going in the mausoleum. <laughs> um. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the one that you pull. Um Ooh, Yeah. And that and and so this I, I was worried that it wouldn't get a scene in the supercut. Like yeah. like cuz like again, there have been all these scenes have been kind of done a little bit better in other places just for one-off moments in a movie. Sure. But nothing is this consistent and yeah. this solid of an interpretation. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Um James what are we watching next week? Unless my calendar does deceive me, John, it's Christmas time. So guess it, what we're doing? We're watching a Christmas carol. <laughs> yes, we are. And uh, what 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 is what is that? Do you hear that? Oh 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 oh! I hear it. I hear. Yeah. I, I I hear it. You I hear the music I'm cutting into the edit right here. Oh, I'm hearing it, John, because I can improv with you. It- <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to review, spoilers, my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. Folks, you love it. You know it. You've been asking for it. Jim Henson's A Muppet's Christmas Carol is the next episode. Yeah, we we are doing it. We are we are doing the only version of this story that anyone has ever asked me if we're gonna do. Are you guys gonna do? Like, I, can I tell you how many times I've said, "Yeah, me and my buddy do a podcast," and like, "What's it about?" And it's like, "Oh, we we watch a bunch of versions of a Christmas Carol," and people look at me like I'm crazy, and then they're like, "Are you guys? Have you guys done the Muppets one?" And I'm always like. We got it. We're doing it. It's happening. We're doing the Muppets one. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm asking John, when are we doing the Muppets one? When are we doing the Muppets one? And here's the thing. Like, this was the version John watched as a child. This is the one I watched. And I cannot wait to to do an honest take on it as an adult and not get blindsided by nostalgia. Even though I'm going to totally get blindsided by nostalgia here. Yeah. And it's... But you know what? I'm going to be along for the ride, and I'm going to be having a big smile on my face. And please join us because I think it, I think we've been working up to this. We've we've done everything under the sun and experience wise. Like we've had good ones, we've had bad ones, we've had horrible ones, we've had crimes against humanity, and we have had. That's whatever, a lot of bad ones, James. What? 
So that's a lot of bad ones. Have we watched a lot of bad ones? Have we watched? I think the we got to look at the percentage of positive to negative reviews because I'm pretty sure they're in the negatives, John. They're pretty bad. Some, because, and we'll we'll talk about this when we like. They prank these out one a year. They crank these out yeah. one a year. Mm-hmm. But the ones that have heart put into them, either because somebody had the like got the job was like, I'm going to really do say something with this. Or it was the first time they ever really did it with sound, like the Seymour Hicks version. Or Jim Henson's crew wanted to do a Christmas Carol and wanted to do it as best as they could. And we're going to talk about it next episode. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, We got some thank yous. Thank you to Milo Newman for our excellent cover artwork thank you to ben devries for our opening closing and interstitial music thank you to zane and the good folks at that's not canon productions for continuing to have us part of their podcast collective and thank you to you the listener who stood by and waited for us to start putting out episodes again after that long break and who have enjoyed these episodes that we've been putting out and who have been waiting for the muppet christmas carol these next two episodes are for you uh james if people are excited that we're going to do uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, what can they do to support us? Okay, it's it's almost midnight here, and I got to be quiet in this neighborhood. But here we go. They can leave a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review because. You're excited for a Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm excited for a Muppet Christmas Carol. John's excited for a Muppet Christmas Carol. The dog across the street is excited for a Christmas Carol because the dog's been barking all week. Okay, I'm just saying the dog won't stop barking. Oh okay, all right. You're gonna like Son of Sam on me. I'm really concerned about this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, gonna? <laughs> Jeez. I don't remember how we end this show, but uh, I win. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you that do. Was, that was an awkward joke staring contest right there, friends. <laughs> that was, oh, that was it. Heavens. Oh, my gosh. Somebody's going to think they went deaf there for a second. They're like, what, what, what happened? Nick? What happened? What happened? <laughs> well, folks, until next time, as Tiny Tim observed. God bless us. Everyone in the morning. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.